Hello, a warm welcome to a new episode of the When in Spain podcast. I'm your host, Paul Burge. Thank you for joining me. In this episode, we're talking travel, specifically train travel, and even more specifically, slow train travel. My favorite way to travel in Spain is by train, uh, undoubtedly, but I've always ended up catching the fast trains around Spain, usually the Aves, zipping between the north and the south from right here in Madrid. But joining me to talk about slow train travel in this episode is Tom Cheshire. Tom is a travel journalist and writer. He spent 21 years, in fact, working on the Times of London newspaper Travel Desk, and he's also written nine travel titles many of them about train travel specifically. And in fact, he has a new book coming out on the 8th of April called Slow Trains Around Spain, a 3,000-mile adventure on 52 rides. And that is exactly what he's going to be talking to us about in the episode. I'm pretty envious. This is something I would absolutely love to do. Uh, Tom dedicated a month, in fact, longer than a month, about 35 days to explore Spain, finding the slowest trains possible. And he did a big S-shape across Spain, starting up uh, near the French border up in Catalonia. And, uh, well, pretty epic trip across 35 days, as you will hear. Uh, Tom is going to be talking to us about his uh, journey, his experiences, his favourite parts of his trip across Spain, about slow train travel, the different types of trains. He's going to be talking to us about the history of trains and train travel in Spain, museums, important places to visit, and, well, really just giving us a view through the carriage windows on a series of clattering rides uh, beyond the popular image of holiday Spain, as Tom himself says. So get your tickets ready for the interview with Tom Cheshire coming up in just a minute. Just before that, I'd like to say a big thank you, as always, to brand new When in Spain patrons. So a big gracias to Dunia Palacios, who actually sent me a message saying, I'm currently listening from New York. I'm an NYPD sergeant. And your podcast is what keeps me sane at times. <laughs> that did make me smile. Also for me, I don't know why, but I find that uh, uh, is something like, really exotic for me. An NYPD police sergeant who listens to my podcast to and from their shifts in New York City. Uh, Dunia says, this is the closest thing I have at the moment to being in Spain. A big thank you uh, to you, Dunia, and I hope uh, that the podcast continues to keep transporting you to Spain uh, at this uh, difficult time with COVID. I'd also like to say a big gracias to Colin Olorenshaw. I think I pronounced your name right, Colin. Colin Olorenshaw, who also signed up to become a patron of the podcast. So a big thank you to both of you, Dunia and Colin, for signing up to support the show. If you feel the same way, you enjoy the podcast and you'd like to uh, show a little bit of support uh, for the work that I do. Uh, you can do the same by heading across to patreon.com forward slash when in Spain. It's P-A-T-R-E-O-N forward slash when in Spain. When you hit that page, which incidentally is a crowdfunding website used by millions of people, uh, it's all very self-explanatory. Okay, todos a bordo. Let's go. All aboard. We've got a lot of ground to cover, so let's get into the interview with Tom Cheshire. In fact, uh, the total distance he travelled in writing uh, Slow Trains Around Spain was some 3,944 miles, but that was including the trip from London all the way down to Spain. But the total distance in Spain was some 3,137 miles covered. Total time spent on trains, 95 hours 
and 20 minutes, almost exactly four days, chugging along the tracks of Spain. Let's find out more about it. Here's me talking to Tom Cheshire. Tom, thank you for taking the time to join me on the When in Spain podcast. Thank you for inviting me. I've got to say, I had a great pleasure and moments of escapism traveling backwards and forwards on the uh, Madrid Metro, reading your book, really enjoyable grand tour of Spain by slow trains. Give us a bit of an outline of the book and and why you chose to write it, because you've written about train travel in other countries. Um, What led you to Spain this time? Well, my previous travel book was entitled Slow Trains to Venice, and it was a train journey around uh, Europe. And it was to kind of a love letter to Europe after Britain decided to leave Europe. So it was Mm -hmm. kind of a post-Brexit love letter to Europe. I left London um, and took a train down to Dover and took the ferry to Calais and went wandering around Europe. And I went as far as Odessa by the Black Sea in Ukraine and ended up in Venice, but it was a very zigzaggy route. Mm-hmm. And I, I very much enjoyed that journey and we had the freedom of the tracks in Europe at my disposal. But when I looked at the map of Europe afterwards, I was with, with curiosity looking in the, the left-hand corner at the bottom, down in the, in the southwest, thinking, hold on, I've missed out a very big country there that seems and, and has a strong train reputation of late with its high-speed train network although I'd been always traveling by slow trains. And I, and I thought, well, let's, let's, I would love to go there. I've got the, you know, great curiosity for what happens on the Iberian Peninsula. And uh, so I decided to, um, to pitch another travel book and I, I was accepted. And, and then I set off south from St. Pancras, this time through uh, the tunnel on the Eurostar via Paris. And I took the... Yeah. Uh, TGV to on a sleeper to Toulouse. Woke up in the morning, um, waited a couple of hours, got the train into Figueres, and so began. That that was the starting point. And my rule for the for the book was to, wherever possible, take the slow trains rather than actually avoiding these wonderful bullet trains that Spain now has, the best network of them in the whole of Europe. 2,000 miles of tracks now but I you know went against the grain if you like and decided to I wanted to see what real Spain was like on the little clickety-clack train lines (laughs) and um and that that was what you know lots of people know about the the big cities of Barcelona's Madrid's the the Balearic Islands the Canary Islands the big tourist resorts I wasn't going to shun these places but I was um, dip into. I went to Benidorm, I went to Torremolinos, I went to Madrid, went to Valencia. But um, my idea was mainly to try and go to the sleepier places on the branch lines. And and I started in Figueres and went in a big S shape all the way around. Yeah, pretty epic, epic journey. I'm pretty impressed of just how much you managed to cover in, uh, was it 35 days, you 35 said? 35 days, yes. 35 and was... days, and also with a budget of around £2,000, including your train travel and accommodation. That was roughly it, yeah. So yeah. I, that was all the money of my advance went straight. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> uh, the idea was to, to make it up as I went along. So I, I had a vague idea of the route, and I knew I wanted to go across northern Spain to Santiago, um, Compostela, uh, 
mm. and to, to travel that way. But I also, I didn't know exactly how I would do it. Once I got to Figueres and I had the first night actually booked in a hotel. But from then on, I'd, I'd ask the station master at, at Figueres station, where do you like? Where's your favorite place? And he said, Blanes. Blanes he was very strong about uh, the, on, the, on the Costa Brava. He liked this town. And he didn't really go into it. He just said, you must go to Blanes. So I, I went to Blanes and I didn't have accommodation that evening or, the, or even in the morning of, the, of where, where I was going. I'd book on something like booking.com or wherever, whatever it was. Sure. And, and I would stay in the hostels. So I'd stay in the little hotels, independent run hotels, which were perfect for this journey because they were clean, neat, ensuite rooms and um good place to drop your rucksack and backpack and then have a look around town and then the next day i'd be off this journey is a series of snapshots from uh, spain from it from the railway tracks and i think that really came across and, and what a difference because yeah i mean you weren't going around spain ticking off the typical touristic sites that many people and many other travel writers have covered in the past. I think you really get a sense of through having taken these slow trains and exploring these backwaters and particularly getting into the interior of Spain as well. Interesting little revelations and uh, for me all the more enjoyable for just not exploring all of the typical places although you did uh, make a visit to Benidorm um, <laughs> but your route basically yeah. during those 35 days took you down across the French border Figueres you traveled across up into Aragon, Zaragoza, Huesca. I think Huesca for you was that quite special because you're a George Orwell fan and you managed to actually travel on one of the train lines that he would have traveled on backwards and forwards to the trenches in Huesca. Yes that's right yeah so um, I believe so between Manresa and Leda um, that that route he would have taken mm. but the, the main the main thing was uh, for me was to actually visit the uh, the trenches where he'd served overlooking Huesca which yeah. is on a hillside and there was not a great deal of information about this I could find anywhere. And so when I arrived in Huesca, I haven't been an Orwell fan all my life. Great curiosity here because this was where he was shot. He was shot in the neck one morning and almost died. And if he had died, there would be no 1984, no animal farm. Yeah, and, I, and it was almost a kind of mini pilgrimage that happened to be vaguely on the way of the, of the journey. So why not go up from Zaragoza and, and have a look? Um, and it turned out to be just an hour's walk, although I took a taxi and I walked back up in the hills. Uh, I had to go to the tourist office, tiny tourist office, very surprised to see a tourist. And he said that about 20 people a year come to see these trenches, George Orwell fans. Up you went and they, they, they've maintained the trencheras for little information signs. And it was very evocative to think when you've just been reading, because I was reading his book at that, rereading at it that at time, that point. Yeah. And then you just, the futility, you could see of them trying to fire across the valley and fire, shots coming back, how kind of futile their escapade was at that particular battlefield. It was with great satisfaction, I actually found the right place. Uh, then to make absolutely sure I had, I actually called the Orwell Society in Britain when I got back and they confirmed that I'd been to the right place. Really? Wow. I actually subsequently joined the Orwell Society as a result <laughs> of that phone call. So when I was going along and, and, and it, so I began in, in Figueres, the Salvador Dali, went to Blanes, discovered these wonderful botanical gardens that um, were set up by an industrialist with an interest in um, botanical garden in, in plants. I uh, had a great time there. In fact, talked to the guy who ran those gardens. He turned out to be a George Orwell fan. He was quite jealous I was going to the trip thinking of going to the trenches at Huesca, um, had a good old chat with him. In fact, 
I've kept in touch with him as I have with other people by email. And then from down from there, I completely ignored Barcelona. I thought, well, at the time, of course, this was in June and July 2019. Well, it was before COVID. So, I'd, you know, at the time, over tourism was swirling around, you know, and and, and I, I just thought, well, Barcelona, so I'll, I'll ignore Barcelona. So I went into the station down along from Metauro into Barcelona, mm-hmm. which is actually where the, Spain's first train line was created in 1848. So I went along this famous stretch of track. So that was the very first stretch of train track laid in Spain between Mataró and, and Barcelona. That was in, yeah, 1848. In 1848. The mm-hmm. first Spanish train. So I did look into this, given that I was writing a book about trains in Spain. The first actual Spanish train was in Cuba, which I believe was in 1837, part of Spain then. Yeah. But the, the first one on the mainland was 1848. Having missed Barcelona, I went to Villanova y la Galtru, and that is where they have the Catalonian Rail Museum. And this is where you can learn in great detail all about it. I mean, I was, I was the only person visiting the Catalonian Rail Museum at the time. Uh, and, and Slightly undervisited. Un- it might be undervisited, but it is actually in- intriguing. I mean, I mean, you don't have to be a rail buff. And I don't count myself as a rail buff. I was interested if as I said, if I'm going to be traveling around trains, I might as well, around Spain on trains, I might as well know what, what their history is and, and know a bit about them and not be an ignoramus as I was going around on them. And there they have a replica of the, the first locomotive that traveled between Mataro and um, Barcelona. They have a whole shed full of these locomotives. And I make the joke that you could go loco over locos and you know you have a good good time uh, 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 yeah I, I like that <laughs> loco for locos yeah yeah, yeah loco i think i think you said that um yeah what was it called martello from 18 1854 was the oldest surviving locomotive in spain yeah that's it yeah that's mm. the one yeah and i got a picture of that um, and it was actually made in britain yes yes yeah. there's good information there and they the woman who ran the place, she was, she was a very cool customer. She was you know, trendily dr- uh, dressed, all in black with yellow designer glasses. And, and I was asking her, you know, so do you get sort of British, you know, rail in- enthusiasts? And she immediately said, you mean train spotters? Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> and, she kind of, and she knew what I was driving at. And, and, and so there are, this museum does have a British interest from that contingent, if you like. But anyway, in the back of that, beyond the shed, they have about 30 trains in a, all in a row. So this is a kind of a pilgrimage point, along with Delicia's uh, station in uh, Madrid. There's the, close to there, there's another museum. The, yes, the Museo de Ferrocarril, uh, yeah, in Delicia's, yeah. Yeah, and so that, and that's the other, so those are the two absolute key points. I was going to ask you that. I'm glad you mentioned those for any uh, train enthusiasts planning a visit to Spain in future. Those are the two key train museums. Well, really the only two train museums in Spain of note, I, I suppose. Yeah. So that kind of set the tone. I was, I, by ignoring Barcelona and going to the Little Railway Museum, and, and I really liked Villanova, you like Eltru. It was kind of fiesta had just been happening that day. Um, I felt like I, there weren't many tourists around. I enjoyed sitting in the square, having a coffee, kids were kicking footballs around, there's lovely little streets, labyrinthine lanes. and I think that's one of the best things to do in Spain is do exactly that, 
get a Hang coffee, out. sit outside on a terrazzo and just watch the world go by, watch like, I don't know, three generations of families yeah. and walking then from, together in the streets. Yeah, Absolutely. And then from, from there, I did go to Montserrat, which is a big tourist destination, obviously. The number one day trip from Barcelona is how they sell themselves. And what is Montserrat, for anyone who's not sure? Benedictine mon- monastery up on the hill. And yeah. an artifact was discovered, the Black Madonna, that has become a kind of pilgrimage point um, for Christians. What was great about this, I mean, okay, so I was taking the trains around Spain, but there's a lovely little train actually up the hill there, uh, up the mountain, called the, the Cog Railway. And, and then you've got the funiculars. Once you actually arrive at the, the station point of of the monastery there's a funicular that goes further up really really steep mm-hmm. um, and then i had a walk up to the mountain top but the the key thing there um if you're doing it if anyone is doing a journey like this around spain um is to book the hotel on next to the monastery which luckily i had the foresight to do two days ahead which is rare for me on this trip to be so advanced in my planning it was uh, run by the, the monastery and the great thing was that after the, the last tourist train is gone, I mean, Montserrat can be quite overrun, but once the last tourist train is gone, it was just me and the monks and the nuns and the handful of tourists at the hotel. I remember having a G&T in the bar of the hotel next to a, a nun having a G&T. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, we, we kind of all just, I was hanging out with the nuns and the, and the, the monks. And then in the morning, before the, the monastery opens and the icon is there, the Black Madonna, to go and visit. Well, there wasn't a single person. I just walked straight up and, you know, having avoided the queues of the afternoon previously. And the only person who kind of I saw during this whole experience of going up to see the fantastic icon was uh, the cleaner who came in and kind of, sort of started mopping around my feet. Um, and so that's how quiet it was. It's one of the things that rail, if you travel by rail and stay along the by the tracks you're going away from where tourists normally go and the normal pattern of tourist movement absolutely i thought you i thought you were going to say that the the cleaner was dusting the the black madonna or something <laughs> almost i think it's covered in plastic <laughs> <laughs> but that's good advice that's good advice to stay up there next to the monastery so you can get there first thing and avoid all of the crowds and all of the, all of the tourists that's obviously good. At the moment, with COVID, things are a little bit different, but I'm sure at some point in the future, that will no doubt be the situation again. From uh, Catalonia, you travelled through Huesca, uh, Aragon, but uh, for you, an important part of the journey around Spain was to take the train across the north of Spain, really from, say, San Sebastián all the way across to Santiago de Compostela, uh, where they have these narrow gauge trains, which is kind of a segue, which I wanted to talk about, which I think important is this curious history about the gauge the width of the rails in spain compared to certainly the rest of europe i believe what's the story behind it how much of this is speculation a little bit but there was there was nervousness about railways being used to possibly invade spain railways were invented in 1830 and the first passenger railway was between manchester and liverpool so when spain had its first one in 1848 well there's quite a big gap there 18 years and by that time Places like Belgium, Britain, France, Germany, where they were getting quite advanced with their rail networks. And so Spain was really a long way behind. And one, one of the reasons was this fear of, you know, possibly 
trains being used to roll down to Madrid to, to take over. When the rail tracks were kind of created, there, there was a decision made to not have what is considered new, the, most of the rest of Europe's standard gauge, which I believe is four feet and eight inches or something like that of yeah. the width of the track. Whereas in Spain, they decided to go for five feet and five inches. So when the trains were possible between the bo- across the border from France, people would have to change the train because the, the trains wouldn't work on the, what they call the Iberian gauge. That had two consequences. It annoyed passengers because they had to get change. And secondly, it affected commerce. There wasn't an easy trade route. You know, the trains couldn't rattle across. So that it had, it had some effects, this decision over the years. You learn about that, the Catalonian Rail Museum, and there's plenty, and also the uh, Madrid Ferrocarril Museum. And then curiously, when they uh, developed the, the high-speed AVE network, they then actually did build those trains to the standard, the standard gauge. Um, Correct, yeah. Which is yeah. So now it's gone full circle. So now the high-speed trains have this standard gauge. So from being less advanced than other countries, in fact, in, I think in the mid-70s, there were still steam trains in some bits of Spain. I think the, the last ones possibly went around 1976 or something. But anyway, the new high-speed trains, it's the best network in the whole of Europe. There are now 2,000 miles of high-speed tracks in Spain. And this all began after Expo 92, and the first line was between Seville and Madrid. And then there was a realisation, actually, that these high-speed trains are incredibly useful for connecting the cities in Spain. And now Spain has, is the shining example of good high-speed trains in Europe that you know, other countries can aspire to. And I, I saw something the other day that it's the only country apart from China, outside China, where trains are legally allowed and could go at 350 kilometers an hour. I didn't know that. It's the right. only country, so only China and Spain but that's what I read. 350k per hour. Wow. Yes. Yeah. But I think at the moment they don't, they don't, they don't touch that. I think 310 is the, the yeah, I think they are just around 300 kilometers per hour. It is, it is an amazing service if you're in a hurry or in terms of practicalities. It's amazing. I always, it always blows my mind whenever I catch the Ave from Madrid to Barcelona or Madrid to, I don't know, Valencia or Malaga. You know, Spain, I think we forget, Spain's a very big country and, uh, you know, how easily and quickly you can be, you know, in the centre of the capital in two and a half hours, you could be laying on a beach you know, on the Costa del Sol is just quite a bit mind-blowing, really. It's I brilliant. If yeah. you're, I suppose we're so used to thinking of high-speed travel in terms of aircraft and flying. There's something all the more impressive, something more impressive about it when you're traveling across land at high speed, although that's not really what we're talking about. And also trains, trains take you to the heart. So they take you from the heart of one city to the heart of another. You don't have to land in an airport mm. on the outskirts and then get into, you're, you're actually in the middle of where you want to go. Mm-hmm. And there's actually, there is some talk about Trans-European Express. Germans have been talking about this recently of creating a network high-speed network across Europe and there are plans this is in line with reducing carbon emissions EU policy so by 2030 there's a target then 2050 there are big targets and there's a lot of talk about trans-European express of high-speed trains linking up all the way across Europe so maybe but this relies very much on agreement between countries and also the trains and the owners of the tracks i really i really uh, hope that's something that does happen i don't know for me there's something very romantic about train travel across different yeah. countries but i think yes you said in in your book that planes are six times 
dirtier than trains. I think you made a comparison of traveling from Paris to Barcelona. And I think you said by train, it releases 12 kilos of carbon per passenger. By plane, Paris to Barcelona would be, would release 78 kilos uh, per passenger. So yeah. <laughs> it's a big difference. It's Huge a, difference. It's a green, greener way of travel. We talked about high-speed trains just a moment ago, the Ave. I suppose my question for you is, and I think I already know the answer, but is nowadays, is catching slow trains in Spain easy? Or is it as easy as it used to be? Because you talked about this kind of idea that in Spain, many of the networks have this kind of radial kind of like spider web spanning out from cities. But it's quite hard to catch trains going cross-country. I mean, how was your experience of that? Well, sometimes it was absolutely fine, but the, the, the lines are not as frequent and they, because of the Arve, the system of radial, radial, the big lines zooming between the big cities and then you would get the little, to go to fine tune where you want to go, you would use those lines to then fine tune where you want to go. There weren't so many long, direct regional lines. You know, in fact, in Montserrat, I was told, if I wanted to get to Lerda, I should not go via Manresa. And I, I said, well, I want to go via Manresa. And he said, we don't do that, you know. And uh, in Segovia. Ah, uh, yes, I remember this part in Segovia. Said, yeah. The bus driver almost wouldn't let me on the, the auto bus to, bus to go to, to, go to the, the second station. He was almost saying, you must go to the Ave station, not to the regional train station. In, and then- in Taking his head, giving said, me all sorts. You said something yeah. like, you know, well, don't blame me if you get lost or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and, and, and so I was actually discouraged from taking slow trains on a few occasions. Also, you quite often only get a couple of lines a day. So from Suenca to Valencia was an excellent high-speed train that goes to, down to Valencia. Hmm. However, the regional line, which is lovely across these ravines and viaducts and beautiful orange countryside and rock formations Mm. olive groves and valleys and winding rivers it's beautiful but there was only two there were only two trains a day on this route so when I was waiting at Suenco station in the morning I got there 20 minutes early station was completely shut (laughs) apart from the cafe and so I got I got the, the station master turned up very much on time for what he needed to do there so I had a coffee at the, the cafe was open and then I started noticing that uh, the platforms were full of dog walkers so all the, the local people they realized that it's quite built up at the bottom of the, uh, the hill and they needed somewhere to walk their dogs well what better place than the kind of these platforms in the middle of the station which aren't really used much anymore yeah. uh, and so they would go across the lines and you know there were parade of poodles and bulls and dalmatians and all these labradors so when you when you're trying to go on the slow lines the slow trains they're quite often infrequent people discourage you from doing them wonder why you're doing them and then that made me want to do it even more <laughs> this is something i got a sense of again and again and again uh, uh, throughout your travels around spain is that people were yeah uh, whoever you spoke to whether it was station masters or managers of hostels it seemed very perplexed but you know why would you want to take that train why would you want to take this little regional train why would you not want to go back to this big city and then take the fast train back out mm-hmm. again some of them got it in extremadura the, the one station i was advised to go 
to Almaden. Uh, Almaden is a, a tiny little town, uh, a mining town. For 2,000 years, they mined aluminium in this, this town. He said, you must go there. And I said, well, why do I, must I go there? And he was completely getting this idea of traveling by train around Spain to the little places. And he said, you must go there because they have a wonderful train. I said, what do you mean? He said, within the mine, within the aluminium mine, they've, and they've opened this mine up as a tourist attraction, a kind of United Nations heritage attraction. Mm. And you go down the shaft many hundreds of feet. And then you, and I was with a group of other tourists, small group, 10 people, Spanish people. And we um, then went on a little mining train through the, the hill. And so this guy, you know, the, the station master's advice had, had led me to, to go there. Equally, when I went to Ferrell, the ticket seller recommended that I go to A Coruña to see the, the lighthouse, which is quite a famous, you know, the Roman lighthouse there. Absolutely. I got tips. So I was taking advice from the very word go from like Figueres. I wouldn't have gone to Blanes, Blanes if it hadn't been for the advice. So it was a very ad hoc. If there was something that was offbeat or that I hadn't really heard about or, and was vaguely on the, on the way, it was quirky, it got my attention or interest, mm-hmm. then I would go there. And then what, what I was finding was that you begin to get a picture of the whole of Spain by going, and it was a big wobbly S shape I traveled in, beginning Figueres up to Santiago de Compostela, down to Madrid, into Extremadura, across to Valencia, down to Benidorm, across the south. To across Seville. the south, yeah, Almeria, Granada, Malaga, Gibraltar. Yeah up to Seville and yeah I mean it's a really impressive so, so it was 35 days 52 train rides and and so and then you get a bigger picture of the whole country and and it was literally one night in each place and, and onwards so although it was slow trains it was actually a quite a fast journey in a funny way pretty ambitious I guess you had a vague route worked out more or less but not necessarily every single stop as you said it was ad hoc I was worried that I was way behind when I was taking the, the narrow gauge trains across the Renfe, the Renfe Fev trains across the top. Um, I was worried that because um, they cut, they kept on the trains kept on breaking down, or <laughs> and I wasn't making great progress. And I was looking at the size of Spain as a big country, and I was thinking, here I am pottering along, taking re- rail replacement buses yeah. and making slow progress. And I think. I wasn't in a rush. I was never really, I was never in a rush. But, um, um, so I kind of paced myself. But, uh, but it's a wonderful way to travel because the freedom of, of the tracks and the freedom of Spain, obviously pre-COVID, mm-hmm. where you could do that. And, I, and I, I was amazed that there were so many possibilities. Even then, it would be, you know, I'd love to go back now and, and go to the plenty of endless branch lines that I didn't visit that, and places I would love to one day go back to that really comes across in in your writing and in your in your journeys just getting off the beaten track i mean who's been to uh, an aluminium mine in in almaden in deepest darkest castilla la mancha and you managed to tick off lots of different types of trains uh, you even used these little uh, cercanias the regional trains you you uh, you traveled on i believe the madrid metro when you were in madrid you know from the funiculars to the cog trains to the narrow gauge you did travel did. briefly on an ave i believe or uh, one of well, the yeah the if it was the only option at that time so i think it was between zaragoza and pamplona possibly um Mm -hmm. there was just no option and and i I was not going to sit around waiting for hours on end 
So there, there were a couple of kind of cheats, I suppose. It was slow trains all the way and also lots of different types of trains. That, that kind of rule served me well. For example, the one between Suenca and Valencia, hmm. that is three hours and 30 something minutes or three hours, 40 minutes. Whereas if you went by the high speed train, I think it's 45, wow. 50 minutes. Absolutely. It's completely, so it's so much longer. I think the top speed at one point was 20 kilometers an hour on that train. <laughs> you could see the sign that the, the driver had to read. And, and then really you've got the freedom of, of Spain. And this is the joy actually now of people say, oh, we, the internet is ruining our attention spans and making, meaning we don't have to remember anything and um, making us all junkies to social media. Mm. But actually it's very useful on a, to be able to be spinning into town on a slow train from, and um, you don't have a uh, hostel booked. Well, go onto a website, onto an app, and you can get a place booked. You can just book, um, it, and, book it when you arrive or book it when you're nearing the destination. Yeah, yeah 20 minutes. Total minutes. freedom. It's total freedom. And then, in fact, and then in Malmedan, the, the station was quite a long way out of, out of town. And, and there were only about three people getting off the train there. And I thought, I'm going to have to walk. It was absolutely, it was 40. The, the Saharan bubble was happening that summer. If you remember, it was 40 C and it was like temperatures were being broken, records. Yes, it was. But I got a lift into town from uh, one of the other passengers, which is very nice of me. Ah, uh, fantastic. Talking about other passengers um you met some curious characters along the way i guess uh, uh, fellow yeah. passengers uh, locals other foreign travelers as well um are there any that particularly stick out in your mind with any interesting tales or useful or not so useful advice that was given to you all sorts of people and that, that's one of the, the nice things it's also nice when you're kind of a journalist or a travel writer and you you feel you can ask people questions and you you're not in normal perhaps travel mode where you're just reading a book and going from a to b like a commuter mm. i was more open i was more ready to be open to kind of encounters mm. and with and, and with that frame of mind i traveled and, and but very early on um from between figueres and blanes i i met a couple sitting next to me we'd been kind of laughing because one of the, the doors between the carriages had broken and the, the guys on the train couldn't fix it and they ended up kind of banging it with hammers and eventually solving this broken door problem. So I got talking to them and they um, started talking about the Catalonian separatism, uh, the separatist movement and their thoughts on the matter and how what was important for me was to learn about different regions of the seven autonomous communities along the way. But I'm no expert. I I don't pretend to be an expert on Spain, but by talking to people, I would learn about the different issues that affected each each place. And they were um, very much saying that, well, if people vote for autonomy, they should get autonomy and, and, and independence and they couldn't understand. So we had a you know a good, interesting chat about that. And that was so early on that uh, it kind of broke the ice for me, if you like, on, yeah. with talking to people. And then the very next day on the, on the next train, I happened to sit next to a German school teacher geography school teacher who decided to give me a geography lesson <laughs> a german geography lesson <laughs> that, that you had not solicited <laughs> i had not solicited but she was very charming and entertaining and she uh, had great great um, thoughts on over tourism um which barcelona obviously at the time i don't think it does right at the moment suffer from over tourism but at the time it was and that's one of the reasons i avoided Barcelona I thought well it's written about a lot and and it's going to be very busy 
but um, she had great thoughts. And so I, I, I kind of took notes for 45 minutes listening to my, my German geography teacher and her thoughts on over-tourism, not just in Barcelona, but in several other cities around Europe as Interesting. well. Interesting. In, in, inflicted on you, yeah. Train stations. Do you know how many train stations you managed to tick off during your travels? More well, or less? 52 train rides, so it must be something like 50, 50 stations. Any of them really stand out in your, in your mind? Any favourites? I know you talked about uh, Huesca and uh, Santander, uh, Zamora as well you talked about. My favourite for artist, kind of for architecture, mm. I would say was Stasio del Nord in um, Valencia. Because it's ah, kind yeah. of Art Nouveau, Modernista styles absolutely beautiful mm, all the, the, the tiles on the outside yeah tiles mosaics the stained glass windows the art nouveau bulbous light lights the wooden ticket offices it was so beautiful it took me about half an hour to get out of the station you know <laughs> and really it was like a fantastic place and then the one in bilbao there were a couple Concordia, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, the but there's one with beautiful green tiles on the outside, right by the river. That was beautiful and artistically, uh, architecturally. And there's a fantastic stained glass window of uh, railways in their early days when they served industrial purposes and had pictures of the countryside and uh, workers going setting off with tools on the rail. There's a beautiful stained glass window in in the Bilbao one. One of the things that really stood out for me across all the way across Spain and it really adds to the experience if you're you know, passionate about traveling on trains mm-hmm. is, is the station cafes and the station cafes. I mean, I've just said if you if you were to grade the station cafes in Britain, for example, in terms of how good they are with their kind of, you know, cardboard sandwiches, etc. You, you probably give them a, an F. Compare Milton Keynes Central with... Uh, Shudder. Yeah, at San Sebastian. San Sebastian is an A+. That was actually my favourite tapas bar in all of the stations was there. They had, I mean, more tapas than you could count. Chilled (laughs) wines in ice buckets. I mean, you just don't get that in, you know, Basingstoke or... (laughs) (laughs) In a station, in a train station cafeteria. It's it's amazing. It's one of the things I absolutely love about uh, train stations, travelling by train in Spain as well. It's make more, have more charm about them than your average uh, British calf at a station, I suppose, with these packet sandwiches. They still serve up real cooked food that's been cooked on the premises as well. And uh... Yeah, wonderful food. And they, often you get people going to the, the cafes who are not going on trains because mm. they're, they're neighbourhood tapas bars and people like, they're so well run, people like to go to them. Badajoz in Extremadura, that was a, a station cafe where locals went to because they liked it and they had good grilled pork and um, lamb. And there was somebody who was celebrating a birthday and they, you know, started dancing around the tables stamping their feet amazing saying, <laughs> <"Ole,"> you, know. <laughs> you know you don't get that in england in no way no way <laughs> on this trip i was traveling with a backpack and a couple of sets of changes clothing and um a set of books about spain so while i was going around actually i actually got quite fit on this trip because i was you know walking <laughs> around with this he- quite heavy backpack but it was one of, one of the pleasures of train travel as well as if I was stopping off in a cafe. Well, I'd always have a book to read because I took uh, Orwell's Homage to Catalonia as I walked out one midsummer morning by Laurie Lee. Hmm. I had uh, the South from Granada by Gerald Brennan. 
I had Spain by Jan, Jan Morris. I had Giles Tremlett's Ghosts of Spain. I had Hemingway books, The Sun Also Rises. Uh-huh. I had, all, had many, many books. And, and that also added to this, the, the enjoyment of the travel because I was taking the trains, learning about the, the railway system, if you like, seeing the sleepy places, but also to go around a country slowly, going to station cafes, reading about it, and slowly enjoy, enjoying whatever happens to go your way. It's a nice way to see a place. Yeah, I think you feel more immersed as well in each place that you, that you visit, uh, taking slow trains. Um, just before we round off, I'm, I've got to ask you, I guess, what was your most memorable or favourite leg of the journey? I suppose it's too much to sort of pin it down to just one place, but it was, uh, you know, Spain geographically is incredibly diverse, culturally identities but was a for you a place that you hold dearest on that trip i did like santiago de compostela there's something uh, marvelous about the cathedral on the hill and mm. spirituality and, the, and also the, the there's a sense of a euphoria when you go there because so many people have taken these long walks and and you feel it in the air you feel this kind of you know people have, have gone on these long pilgrimages and there's a sense of jubilation and I, I, I really did like it there. Ronda, I liked the beauty of the, the bullring by the cliff. Um, I liked the, as in terms of rail journeys, I liked from Almeria up to Granada by the desert and, and the uh, mountains. I mean, that was probably the most visually beautiful or interesting. You know, funny enough, in a place like Almaden, I mean, being in, in the cafe in the town, just sitting there with, a, with your backpack at your feet, having a coffee in a sleepy place, the sun beating down, feeling a long, a long way removed from all the, the troubles of the 21st century, if you like. I, was, I, can, I can well imagine. I, I know exactly what you mean, somewhere like that. You're not going to really bump into probably any other foreign tourists or travelers in a place like that just you <laughs> there it's true as you said traveling around um going back to the sort of politics you do see slogans scrawled across walls all around spain i think we always think of the typical one being catalonia for its uh, independence yeah. uh, push um but other parts of spain as well you see political slogans i've seen them you know in castilla leon and with like Le- people from leon saying no we're not part of castile we just want to be leon and i <laughs> guess you see it still in maybe in the basque country to some degree or all around spain as well my feeling was that that spain is, is a family of 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 these autonomous communities and the they, they held together as a family. And if you like, the trains linked them together. The, the politics, yes, I saw signs for the Vox Party and I saw signs for independence in different areas. There is graffiti on the wall if you look out, out for it. Interestingly, train travel, train networks have been politicised over the years in Spain, particularly the high-speed train, the AVE. There was always this question of why wasn't there a high-speed train from Barcelona to Valencia along the coast, for example. Yeah. Madrid seems to hold all of the cards with these decisions. But did you encounter any kind of political issues surrounding the network as you were traveling from the people you spoke to? Well, funny you asked that. The Dan Algeciras said, while I was sitting in a square, having looked across at Gibraltar and, and, and had a wander around the different lanes that Laurie Lee had visited with his uh, fiddle as he went uh, backpacking around uh, in 1935, 1936, um, making his way with his busking to pay for his trip. Um, 
the, there was a protest going on in the in the, in the in the main square, and I was looking at these people holding up a banner, thinking, "What are they, what are they protesting about?" And on the banner, there was a picture of a train, and I was like, "Hold on, what's what's all this about?" And um, so I went over. We ended up having a long long chat with the people running running this protest, which had been going on for many many days, and they were upset that the line hadn't been updated between Algeciras and Seville. Mm-hmm. which would allow for freight freight to be taken from the port up into up into Spain and then onwards up into the center and then onwards you know if it needed to be to to France and beyond yeah um, and they felt that priority was being given to other places there were thoughts that there were political reasons for those decisions and so they were very upset that there wasn't the funding for improvements to the line mm-hmm. and so on my last day or one of my last days um, on the journey, I had this long, interesting discussion with the protesters in the square. And in fact, I'm still in touch with some of those people by email. There are issues regarding where the Ave trains go, and I was aware of that. And in fact, on one of the lines between um, Almeria and Granada, I was asked by um, somebody taking a survey for ADIF, the the rail network uh, organisers, and they were saying, do you believe there should be a fast train on this track? Asking me, and I'm writing a book about slow trains. Well, I, <laughs> I said, I explained my situation. I said, well, actually, probably if I lived in Almeria, I would want a fast train to Granada. And so I said, yes. I said, you can put me down as a yes, because um, I wouldn't want to affect the statistics unfairly for people living in Almeria. But it seemed a, a harmonious journey that I had by my, my gentle, rattling, slow train. It sounds so magical. I'm incredibly envious. Even though I live in Spain, I've never had <laughs> the opportunity to actually take that level of time out to do that. It, I think for me, it'd be the other way around. I'd love to catch a train from Madrid to London at some point. Tom, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the When in Spain podcast. Thanks for inviting me. So that was Tom Cheshire. Big thanks to you, Tom, for joining me. Just a reminder that Slow Trains Around Spain uh, is available on the 8th of April. You'll find it in the travel writing section of your local bookshop, no doubt. It's also available on Amazon. You can also get a Kindle version of the book as well. I highly recommend it. Very enjoyable. If you're wanting to be in Spain and you can't at the moment and you've exhausted all other books about Spain, uh, this is a lovely piece of uh, escapism if you'd like to find out more about tom he's got his own website and blog uh, which is tomcheshire.co.uk cheshire is spelled c-h-e-s-s-h-y-r-e i'll put a link to all of that in the show notes of this episode anyway which you can find over at whenin'spainpodcast.com. that's the website which accompanies the podcast series where i put more detailed show notes and photos and i'll be sure to put a few photographs uh, as well particularly the map uh, that uh, tom made showing all of the stops he made uh, whilst writing the book 
So with that, I'm afraid we seem to have reached the end of the line for this episode. I wonder how many more train puns I could uh, pack into this. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope it's given you a bit of armchair escapism to Spain, which is what I aim to do with this podcast. Uh, I've got more guests in the pipeline lined up. Interviews going to be recorded uh, this week and next week. So do stay tuned for the next episode of the When in Spain podcast coming into your ears very soon. Incidentally, do get in touch if anyone has any uh, podcast program ideas they'd like me to put together for the future i still have a huge huge long list of episode ideas which i'm working on for me uh, as you may have guessed with a few gaps lately it's a case of finding the time around my day job to, to to do all of this but please do get in touch in the meantime don't forget that when in spain is more than just a podcast we've also got a presence on uh, social media there's a when in spain facebook group a place for you to share content about spain ask questions to the other members of the group as well do give us a follow on instagram the handle is at when in spain one to see photography uh, that i take from all around uh, spain well at the moment mostly madrid unfortunately owing to the uh, situation with covid and as i mentioned the best place to find out more about the podcast and more detailed notes about each episode is at when in spain podcast dot com so that'll do it for this episode until the next time i shall bid you hasta luego